today people go, oh, well, you know, you seemingly have everything. I mean, you're married to this great guy. You're super happy. I mean, it looks like you've got your shit together. And all of that is very true. But what people don't understand is, just like you said in the beginning, I have a history and I have a past. Now, I used to blame that past for the way I showed up in my life. Nothing behind me has changed. It's all still there. Mm -hmm. My mom is there. The failed marriages are there. The failures, the all of it, all of the chaos and the drama that I created, by the way, for the most part, it's all still there. But what it means to me is different. Welcome back, everyone, to the Redemption Road podcast. I'm your host, Doc John. Here on Redemption Road, we are interviewing high performers to hear their life hacks and strategies for overcoming the most difficult of circumstances to live a very healthy and productive life. Today's guest is a mindset coach for women specializing in dating and relationships. She's also a speaker, a podcast co-host of Otherwise Undamaged, and a best-selling contributing author. She's published articles in several magazines where she shares her story, her message, and her tips on mindset. She transformed her life at the age of 41 on the other side of two divorces and shares her story regularly to inspire other women. She's passionate about helping women achieve success through acceptance, forgiveness, and taking responsibility. She's committed to helping her clients overcome their beliefs so they can live the lives they truly desire. It is my pleasure to introduce Michelle Fuller. Michelle, thank you for being here. Hey, hey, what's up? Uh, Great to have you here. It's a great day and uh, looking forward to uh, dropping some nuggets and helping a lot of people. So... Let's, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive right in. Um, of course, the theme of this podcast is redemption. And I know from our conversations that you've had to overcome a lot in your life and uh, you're very much thriving now. Um, but uh, I'd like to have everybody describe some of what they've been through, because when they see somebody who's successful, they think it's always been that way. They don't see the trials and tribulations, the darkness that someone's had to go through to get to where they're at now. So if you could, I'm going to open it up to you. Share a little bit about what you've had to overcome to get to where you are now. Yeah, the backstory. Yes. (laughs) Well, I was born in Kentucky to middle-class parents. My mom looked like Lonnie Anderson, and my dad looked like Burt Reynolds. I looked like Little Orphan Annie. The genetic train missed me by a lot growing up. I had strawberry blonde hair. I had freckles. I was super shy, very awkward. It was a very interesting dynamic. We took off to North Carolina when I was eight years old. My dad got transferred. And from there, my life completely changed. There were a lot, a lot of turbulent times. I'll give you the cliff note version. We moved to North Carolina. We get settled. My mom decides that she does not want to be married anymore. She actually had an affair with a neighbor. So she moves out into an apartment. My dad stays in the house that they had built together. About six to eight months later, my mom discovers that she has breast cancer. They don't catch it in time. I'm 10 years old. There's a lot of chaos going on. My mom moves back in. And for the next four years, my dad and my mom are fighting this disease. My mom ultimately dies from breast cancer. She's only 36. And I had just 
turned 14. Wow. This all takes place before I even start high school, by the way. My mom and I had a really tumultuous relationship. I'm very transparent about the relationship that she and I have because I feel like it's really important. And there are a lot of women that have these kind of relationships with their moms, whether they're living or they're not. Mm -hmm. Off I went into the world. I managed to get through high school, barely. I barely passed. I barely graduated. I got into college by some miracle. I think they were just willing to take money, so they let me in. I'm 40 pounds overweight. I'm super mad and angry at the entire world. I'm still mad about my mom. I'm still mad about her death. I didn't want to go to college either. I get into college. I get married almost immediately before the ink is even dry on my high school diploma. That marriage blows up. I'm 24. I'm starting all over. I'm single. I'm a single mom. I had a son in that marriage. I climbed the corporate ladder. I do really well. I get married again when I was 28, 29. I get pregnant again. That marriage explodes. And before I turn 33, I'm divorced twice. I'm super miserable. I have no idea what is wrong with me. I repeated and rinsed and repeated that over and over. That was before I hit my rock bottom moment at 41. That sounds like an incredibly frustrating cycle to go through repetitively like that. So rock bottom at 41, what was your rock bottom? So I divorced my second husband when I was 33. I stayed single for a very long time. I dated or I tried to, but each relationship blew up. It didn't work out. He wasn't a good fit for me. I was also terrified. I was terrified of dating because I had failed in the marriages previously. And I had chosen men, by the way, who were not right for me and frankly, no good for me. I was in a relationship with a man for about a year and a half. We were fixed up by mutual friends. I really thought that it was going to be incredible. But as it turns out, I stayed with him a year and a half too long. We were not right for each other. He was controlling. He was demeaning. Despite knowing all of that, I stayed with him. So he sits on my couch one frosty January in Texas, and he says, hey, I don't know if I want to marry you. I don't know if I'm ever going to want to marry you. And for once, I took a stand for myself and I said, hey, we need to break up. And we did. Initially, it's euphoria because you're coming off something that you think that you want, but then you're left with nothing but your feelings. Right. And this is how we end up repeating the cycle. In that moment, under the bed sheets, surrounded by tissues and coffee cups, I realized that I was going to have to save myself. Right. And here's why. Because I had refused to deal with anything in my past, my the relationship that I had with my mom, the failed marriages, her death, the anger, the resentment, all of those things came up. They came bubbling to the surface. Anytime you have something happen to you, 
that triggers a really, really intense emotion like that breakup did, mm-hmm. you're going to reach for things in your mind that are similar because our mind is always looking for patterns, right? My mind was looking for the patterns. Well, I had plenty of things to reach for because I had never dealt with anything in the past, right? On my knees, I made a decision to finally get help. And I did. I hired a coach. That coach was pivotal for me. Absolutely pivotal for me. Changed my entire life. Well, it's huge because uh, um, a friend of mine, a, a fellow coach, uh, he, he talked. He, he works uh, with with men, but this this applies to men and women. You know, one of the one of the greatest quotes that he had on my podcast was, "You know, we can't let twenty uh, year old problems be dealing with twenty year old problems when we're in our forties. Mm-hmm. So in your case, you know, we got problems that are fourteen. You know, fourteen year old problems." that you're still dealing with in your thirties. And so that's a big gap that we have to make up. And unfortunately, when we have things that are, you know, that happen in our lives that are traumatic and they happen at that point, sometimes, it, you know, if we don't um, take the time to adjust and to do the work, you know, part of our maturity, part of our mindset, part of our entire way of coping and coping skills stay stuck at that stage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're, here we are in our mid thirties or late thirties. And part of our coping is still stuck at that point where we are at, 14 or 12 or wherever the trauma happened. And so it's great that you delved in and did the work to stop that cycle from continuing to happen over and over again. Yeah, it's, it was huge. And I'll tell you what changed for me. When I started working with this coach, there were a series of questions that he asked me. And one of those questions was, what was the relationship like with your mom? And I had a lot to write. I was gonna, my next question, I was, I was going to ask you a little more details about what made that so tumultuous. So tell us a little bit about that. My mom was absolutely gorgeous. She was a model. She was in pageants. She was larger than life. She loved doing her makeup. She was very systematic. She had a bookkeeping job that she liked. She was bigger than life. She she dressed well. She did her hair. She did her makeup. I still remember all those things. I remember listening to Elvis on the record player growing up in disco music. We're similar age. So I still love disco music. The Bee Gees are all the rage. Oh, hell yeah. But she was a really, really tortured woman. My mom grew up in extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. My grandparents were both alcoholics. My grandmother was emotionally abusive, possibly physically abusive. My mom was molested at some point by a family member. And she met my dad when she was 17. My dad, you know, had a great job. He was 27. This is preposterous, I know. My dad's 27, my mom's 17. They meet in this small town. He is her knight in shining armor. He promises to rescue her from where she lives and the drama that she deals with. And they get married and then they move to Lexington, Kentucky. My dad already has a great job secured. But what happens is this, as we well know, because we've had our own demons to come to to get over. (laughs) You can leave the situation, but the situation is going to go with you no matter where you go if you do Mm -hmm. not deal with it. Those are straight facts. 
You can move to Dubai if you want, but if you haven't dealt with your shit, you're going to be dealing with it in Dubai. You it can't run prettier, away. There's no place far enough away. Yeah. There's no place far enough. And that was the problem. My mom took all of the things that happened to her in her own childhood into her marriage and into the way that she parented me. Yeah. We had one of the most tumultuous relationships. We fought all the time. We were constantly at each other's throats. Mind you, I'm very young. Now, I'm very shy, but I'm also very outspoken. I'm very, very sassy, and I don't mind talking back to her for sure. When my parents separated after the affair, I remember yelling and screaming at my mom constantly. It really, really upset me what she was doing, how I felt about it. Ultimately, I moved out and I never stayed with her again. And I didn't see her until she was diagnosed and moved back in the house. I'm 10 years old. I have had a lifetime of things happen between she and I, and now she's sick. This is before technology. This is before the internet. My dad is working full time. He's trying to take care of his dying wife. It is absolute chaos. And my sister and I were, we had to be very self-sufficient, take care of the house, take care of our own food, take care of ourselves. And then my mom dies. I never have a chance to reconcile any of this with her. The things that I told you about my grandparents, I didn't find that out until after my mom died. Oh, wow. This is what's really important. When that coach asked me about the relationship with my mom and I had pages and pages and pages of things that I wrote out, he told me something that really, really changed the way that I looked at myself and I looked at dating. He said, you are dating men or marrying men that remind you of your mother. Mm. You are trying to work it out in your adult life because right. you never worked it out before. So I was dating men right. who were. Yep. You're trying to gain mastery over that situation. Yep. I was dating men and marrying men who either treated me like my mother did or modeled behaviors that my mother did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was completely like mind blown. The other thing that I did that was really pivotal is I forgave her. And people always ask me, how did you forgive someone who is no longer here? I did it by talking to her. I did it by meditating. I did it by journaling and by getting it all out on paper and out into the open. Yes. And this is the other thing I did. Now, I... Whenever I got mad or I had this memory bubble to the surface, I would think of my mom as that little girl standing in her very small house, being yelled at and screamed at by my drunk grandmother, who threw away her dolls, by the way, threw them all away. Mm-hmm. And I could not hold that anger anymore. Right. I could finally let it go because <clears throat> I'm sorry. I knew that she was just a product of her environment. Right. And if you think of it that way, and it's, it's, it reminds me of, uh, have you ever seen the movie, The Shack? No, I haven't seen it. Well, there, there's a scene where, you know, this, this guy, he had a very abusive father and then he, you know, talking about judgment and then he gets seen by the higher power and they say, well, and they showed his father going through what he went through as a child. 
mm-hmm. you know, so are you still going to judge him now? And so it's, yeah. when you think about, and, and we can go from anger to empathy very quickly. If we put it, you know, ourselves in each other's shoes, put ourselves in that other person's shoes and we stop to think, okay, a person that would treat us this way, a person that would act this way, mm-hmm. is that a happy person? What are they going through? What is making them act that way? What's a different way to look at it rather than thinking immediately that person has the worst of intentions or that person's evil or whatever angry thoughts that we have. If we restructure our thinking, you know, even people that are acting in a certain way, we can have empathy. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes people who are in the most need of love ask for it in the most unloving of ways. And that's, I think, an important thing to for everybody to grasp. And it sounds like that's a conclusion you came to. It really is. Wayne Dyer did an analogy. Do you know who Wayne Dyer is? Yes. Love him. Him and Louise Hay. Good Lord. I could listen to them over and over. Wayne Dyer always talked about an orange. And he said, if you squeeze an orange, the only thing that's ever going to come out is orange juice. And the reason that he used that analogy is you cannot squeeze an orange and get lemon juice, apple juice, grape juice. Whatever is on the inside comes out on the outside. We are just the product of what we think, of what has happened to us, of what we think about what has happened to us. I, today... People go, oh, well, you know, you seemingly have everything. I mean, you're married to this great guy. You're super happy. I mean, it looks like you've got your shit together. And all of that is very true. But what people don't understand is, just like you said in the beginning, I have a history and I have a past. Now, I used to blame that past for the way I showed up in my life. Nothing behind me has changed. It's all still there. Mm -hmm. My mom is there. The failed marriages are there. The failures, the, all of it, all of the chaos and the drama that I created, by the way, for the most part, it's all still there, but what it means to me is different. Absolutely. The narrative is different. Mm-hmm. How you appraise the situation is different. Yes. And you know, what used to be excuses maybe now is, um, you know, things that you learn from their learning experiences. Yeah. Gives a chance to learn everything that you didn't want in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you can use to help other people. And uh, they're all things that build our credibility. You know, I, as a psychologist, you know, I, I had the clinical training, but one of the things that, you know, oftentimes I, I didn't have until I got more in the coaching sphere was, you know, being able to share some of the real life experiences. And mm-hmm. you know, it's like they always say the thing that you think disqualifies you to help anybody is what qualifies you the most. Mm-hmm. So, you were just accumulating all those credentials. I was. It's it's like the <laughs> school of hard knocks, literally. You know, uh, do you remember that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? Do you remember that song? Of course. Yeah, it's there was a title to my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Gosh. So you've definitely come a long, long way. Um, yeah. Talk about some of the other coping skills that you cultivated i mean you were you were able to come to that conclusion about you know how your relationship with your mom dictated kind of the relationships you were choosing so what kind of work did you do how how were you able to stop that cycle you know how were you able to increase your awareness and um yeah because i I think this is an important thing for a lot of people to 
realize because people go into relationships and one of the things I've heard people say a lot is, well, their picker is broken. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you tell a coaching client, like who's got a broken quote unquote picker? (laughs) (laughs) How do you, how do you help them with that? I don't believe that any of us have a broken picker. I believe that we pick people that we either believe we can have, we settle, we don't actually think for a second that we can have what we truly desire because we've been told so long that we can't, which is complete bullshit, by the way. One of the things that I talk about clearly is forgiveness. You are, you've got to, you've got to deal with your past. Yes. You've got to forgive. You've got to accept the past. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I talk about all the time is taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. Ownership and 100%. It is the absolute flex. And here's why. Until you take responsibility for yourself, your actions, your thoughts, how you show up, nothing in your life is going to change. And I don't give a shit what it is. Nothing will change until you take responsibility for your life. Because by the way, it is your life. And no one is going to work harder on your life than you should, period. Absolutely. This is what I did. I took time off. By time off, I mean, I focused on me and only me. I got real happy. I moved to a different city. I did the things that brought me joy. I wasn't looking for anyone. I actually, I didn't date for over a year. I did it by design. I was working on myself so relentlessly and I was getting prepared for the man that I wanted in my life. I your own happiness rather than looking for it in somebody else. Yeah. Cause no one will ever love you as much as you should love yourself. Right. And, and I, I, I just love what you said about the whole ownership component because when you're taking that responsibility and, and I tell us, and that's one of my six pillars of confidence is mm-hmm. you, ha- you're taking ownership for the things that go bad and that's hard to do. And it's a tough pill to swallow at first. But once you do that, you start to realize that not only did you affect things for bad, but you have the power to affect things for the good. You mm-hmm. have that internal locus of control. You control the outcome. So all of a sudden now your, your fate isn't in the hands of anybody else. Your happiness isn't in the hands, isn't dependent upon that next person you meet you're dictating the happiness. Like you said, you're cultivating that happiness on your own. So then when the next person comes into the picture, you're not putting unrealistic expectations on them. You're not settling. You mm-hmm. know, you're not trying to force something onto a situation that's not there. You're already happy and you know, it's going to fit with you and you're not going to be deterred from what you want. Yeah. A lot of women after divorce, especially they really struggle with dating because In the external world, you're told you have this divorce. You're a single mom. Let's be honest. I mean, age plays a huge factor in that. I was in my 40s. I was twice divorced. I had two kids. I was a single mom. And the world tried to tell me that I should just be happy with anything that showed up on my doorstep. I didn't believe them. I didn't believe them. I worked on myself. I knew what I deserved. And I held steadfast to the belief that I could have it just the way I wanted it. Yeah. When I finally got on Bumble, that's where I met my husband. Let me tell you how I set my Bumble profile up. I went over the really important things, right? My height, my weight, if I had kids, what I wanted, my political views, 
by the way, that is very important. Your religious views, also very important. 100%. But I did not go through the stress of writing out a profile. Women stress so much about writing a bio. Ladies, I'm going to be honest with you. I had a lot of dates on Bumble before I met my husband. Not one of those men read my bio. Not one of them. Do you want to know why? Because it doesn't matter as much as you think it does. And here's the flex. You could put a quote, but you need to have great pictures and you need to be smiling and you need to be doing something that brings you joy and makes you laugh. Something that's important to you that reflects who you are as a woman. That's what men are looking at. Nothing matters until you meet them, by the way. That's the other thing that I was steadfast in. I was not interested in being someone's texting buddy. Exactly. Therefore, I was not. Exactly. And and, and that's that's the thing. You know, people want to be pen pals for months and months and months. And, you yep. know, my, my, my philosophy always was just like, you can talk forever. And then you're not going to know if you have chemistry until you meet up. And then mm, you're going to know within five minutes of sitting down if there's chemistry mm -hmm. or not. And that, and that's, and that is the reason why I said, do not stress about writing a bio because you could have the best bio in the world. You guys could connect through text messages and on the phone. Yep. But what happens when you meet in person? Yep. If you well, don't have chemistry well, with this person, are you going to settle and be with this person, even though you're not physically attracted to them? What kind of life is that? A lot of things can look good on paper, but until you sit down face to face, you know, and that's that's one of the problems with uh, some of the virtual world. I mean, everybody, everybody's texting and online this, online that, but you know, you you just the in, there's still no substitute for the in person interaction, and that's yeah. still the determinant. Like you said, all those things they don't matter. You can have a great profile, well written, and everything else, and mm -hmm. something very thoughtful, but until you sit down with that person face to face, you know. And, and sometimes all the things that you, people say that they want, you know, sometimes, sometimes, I mean, there are some non-negotiables, but some of the things that they think that they want, they go out the window because they realize they had chemistry with somebody and they realize that, uh, you know, that person was the best thing they didn't know that they always wanted. Mm -hmm. Just don't know. Yeah. Until you meet in person. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I think that's a lot. Of, that's about what a lot of people are missing. I, you know <laughs> what? I was that person. I, I didn't use Bumble until I moved to Austin. I lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and I utilized Match. Back in my dating days, it was horrible. I was, and here's the other thing. You got to have boundaries. Ladies, can we get some standards around here? You get what you tolerate. So stop tolerating men who don't do the things that you want them to do. You're in far more control than you believe you are. And you do not have to settle in your life or in love. Do not buy any story that someone tries to tell you otherwise. It's crap. I did it my whole life. I did it my whole life. People cannot believe that I am so introvert introverted. I'm shy. I really am. I just like to read my books and drink coffee. That's what I like to do. But when you hear me speak, you're going, wow, she always had this fire. Like she's great. She says what's on her mind. She doesn't give a fuck. And I don't, but you know how long it took me to get here over four decades. 
because you know what? I didn't think my voice mattered. I didn't think I was important. I was trying to be seen and not heard. I was shrinking. I was settling. I was too busy, worried about what the world thought about me. And I didn't give a shit about what I thought about myself. And when I started worrying about what I thought about myself, the whole game changed. And guess what? By changing the internal game, better people showed up in my life. That's how it works. That's it. And in a nutshell. Ooh, louder for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm super gosh. passionate, obviously. I always love our conversations because everything you're saying always reminds me of a female version of like the same thing I went through. I went through the problem with the nice guy syndrome and, mm -hmm. you know, like, like uh, Dr. Glover talks about no more Mr. Nice guy, worry what everybody else thinks and people pleasing and this and that, try to fit everybody else's mold and make yeah. myself crazy until finally you just say, fuck it. And I'm going to do me. And mm -hmm. then, lo and behold, it works really, really well. It does. You start getting what you want. And then, you know, and I just, I love what you have to say about not settling because everyone tells you, you should be happy and you should be, you know, it's not about having what you want. It's about wanting what you have. Well, if what you have isn't good enough, then no, that's not the point. You know, Mark, Man my favorite article that I always said to everybody, it's by Mark Manson. And it's called Fuck Yes or No. That's it. I know that article and I read it too. And you're right. We probably read it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's just brilliant because, you know, and it was based on a business principle where a guy said, you know, in business, he's like, I don't get involved in a deal unless it's not just a yes. It has to be a fuck yes. Like I got to be over the moon excited about it. And the person that you're dating, it should be the same thing. It shouldn't just be like, uh, okay, I guess they're all right. No, no, mm -hmm. it should just be okay. They should be fine. You know, it's but how many people do that? Right. You know, they got to be a fuck yes for you. And then the caveat is you've got to be a fuck yes for them. It's got to be reciprocal. And exactly. So, and that's the other thing. Too many people, him and ha and the, you know, and it just drives me crazy because I see people that you know, it might be a fuck yes for them, but they're begging to be in a relationship. You know, you shouldn't ever be begging or, you know, it, it's one thing to make an effort, but you know, if, if you have to ask, there's your answer. Mm -hmm. Someone who wants to be with you will find a way to be with you. If they, if they want you around, they will find a way to keep you in their lives. They will make the effort. They will make the effort to communicate. You won't get excuses. Like any other excuse, just like in dating, if you're getting excuses, excuses, just another way of saying not important enough to me. Yeah. Well, ladies, if you're listening to this, just remember, if you struggle with relationships and you struggle to know if he's interested because women always get caught up in the well, he's busy or whatever excuse that guys hand out. No offense. I do love men. I love them. But effort equals interest. Mm -hmm. Period. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Effort equals interest. If you see effort, then he's interested. If you don't, then he's not. Right. And have enough confidence to walk away when it's not. Because... Right. I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to convince someone to love me for who I am, because that just seems like a lot of work, right. you know, and I don't want to do it and no. I'm not going to do it anymore. I was that girl. I was that girl. I was the people pleaser, codependent, felt like I had to work to be loved, that I had to show up a certain way to be loved. Meanwhile, I'm dating and marrying people who are completely misaligned with me that act just like my mother or treat me just like my mother did. There could not have been a more explosive situation in my dating and married life. However, 
if I'm able to create the love story I have in my 40s, and by the way, my husband is younger than me. Oh, and he has no kids. Gosh, I mean, like, can you imagine that this guy even chose me based on what other people told me? You get to have it your way. You get to have it your way when you decide that you want it and that you're willing to work for it. And you don't have to let, and you don't have to let other people's limiting beliefs be your limiting beliefs either. But a lot of people do. A lot of people do. A lot of women do. It's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about doing the kind of coaching that I do. I know what is said. I know what people try to tell women about what's possible for them. My flex is dating and relationships, but I could go on and on and on about mindset because it's all tied together. It all is. It starts with what you think. Mm -hmm. Your results, by the way, in life are a direct correlation to what you think. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know why you're not getting what you want, you better go back and start driving down what you're thinking on a regular basis because that's where it starts. What are you thinking about yourself? What are you thinking about the world? What are you thinking about the future? Yep. Those core beliefs are going to dictate everything. They do. Events don't dictate how you feel. Your thoughts dictate how you feel. Thoughts dictate feelings. Feelings dictate your actions. Yep. You know, and that that where your thoughts are that's that's where your focus is and you know it's like tony robbins says where your focus goes your energy flows and that's where all your if your thoughts are in that direction all your energies your emotions everything else are going to go that same direction too well it's a lot of the reason why i continued to get spanked over and over and over by the universe with the same lesson because i blamed everyone else I lived in victimhood. It was their fault that I was the way I was. It was their fault that I was so unhappy. It was their fault that I wasn't getting the things I wanted. It was their fault. It was their fault. It was their fault. By excusing myself from taking any responsibility, I continued to get the same lesson over and over and over. Mm -hmm. I just never realized it. There are so many women out there And men too, you know this, that do not realize they are literally the only thing standing in their way. If they would just take a minute to sit down and think about the kind of life that they have and the kind of life they want, and then figure out a way to make it happen, they could have a completely, completely different kind of life in one year. Yep. Yeah. You don't have to relinquish the control to everybody else. You just just have to stop and- just have Never. To realize that, you know, when it is going south across all these situations, you know, like I always say, what's the common denominator? And it's you. It's, you know, I had to realize that with myself, you know, you know, these I'm having this relationship, this relationship, the same things are happening over and over again. I'm the common denominator. It's something I'm doing. Right. I have to change it. You know, that's mm-hmm. on me. And once you do that, that's that's where you get empowered. That's when the ball com- comes back in your court again. Your best life is on the other things that on the other side of the things you avoid. Hundred percent. It is. Yeah, yeah. Avoidance is, uh, yeah, it, it's it's one of the biggest curses that they have anybody can have because uh, the more you avoid, the more your anxiety about things is going to yep. become more firmly entrenched. And um, you know, the thing that you're avoiding is probably the thing that you need to do the most. And uh, you know, once you get it, past, almost always is. Yeah. You know, when, when, once you get past that. It doesn't have power over you anymore. Yeah. I 
I really believe that the relationship that ended in my early 40s, it was such a gift to me because I don't know if I would have had the strength, unfortunately, at that point to say no to a marriage proposal from this man that I did not like and I did not love. I was in such a different place emotionally. I was so desperate to be loved by anyone. It I didn't care who it was. I just wanted someone to like see me and love me, even if it was so toxic and so bad for me, right? Mm-hmm. And I was terrified of going into my 40s thinking I was going to be single and lonely and no one was going to want me and I was only getting older. You have all these things that are running in the back of your mind, things that you not only think, but things that you read, things that you hear. If you really want to change your life, change the people that you hang out with. Absolutely. Change the podcast that you listen to. Change the music you listen to. Turn off the damn news. Oh my gosh, yes. Start journaling. Start getting serious about setting goals. You know, set one goal at a time if you have to, if you feel uncomfortable, but do something because you're never going to get where you want blaming other people or other things or our president or whatever. It's never going to work because- those things are just external factors. You're being what reactive you do- across those, yes. those things. You, know, you got to be proactive and not reactive. And exactly. And there's, you know, there's certain things that we can always control in our lives. And like you said, one of them is what we read, what we listen to, what we watch, what we consume with our minds. You yep. know, you control what you consume in your mind, you can control what you consume in your body as far as what you eat, drink, and your nutrition. You can control the people that you surround yourself with. I mean, those are yep. probably the three, three of the main things that you can control in your life. And those are huge. All three of those things are huge. And if you get a handle on those and you can corral those, then you're going to be sitting pretty. And a lot of people don't realize that, but they're, they're too busy reacting to everything, you know, from the start yeah. the time to wake up in the morning, you know, and listening to what's on the news or listening to what comes in their email or, or whatever else. You're letting somebody else be the puppeteer and jerk you around. You're letting somebody else put the spin on your day. You're letting somebody else be in control and you know, from the time people wake up, they're they're starting their day on defense. You don't want to be on defense. You know, I heard Andy Frazella say this today on his podcast, and I really want to repeat it because it hit home for me. I've never really framed it this way, but he said, whenever I struggle with making a decision or I want to turn back, <laughs> I'm sorry. He said, I always ask myself, if I quit, what will my life look like in a year? I give up, what is my life going to look like in a year? What's it going to look like in six months? And I thought, damn, that is so deep. It is so deep. But when you think about it that way, it makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you do quit, then you, you give yourself permission to start doing that. And then it doesn't take long before certain things can become a habit and you do that a couple times and all of a sudden that can start to become your MO. And so there are a lot of people that do, um, you know, they say it takes 66 days for some things to become a habit, but to, to break good habits, it only takes doing the wrong thing a couple times. Mm-hmm. Quit. You know, you miss one day at the gym. Okay, fine. But you start missing two and three days in a row. It's going to be a very slippery slope for you. You start quitting on things. You quit one thing. Okay. 
you know, you're opening up the door for things to happen. Then you start quitting, to, you know, two or three things and you start rationalizing them before long. You're in a tailspin. You know what that really is, don't you? What's that? When you break promises to yourself, you're basically telling yourself that you don't matter. Exactly. And over time, your brain starts to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I actually just said something along those lines on a podcast. I was just a guest on another podcast last week and it was the same kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. we t- anytime we give excuses, excuses are lies. And you know, that was one of the biggest things for me back in 2019 when I kind of made my own personal renaissance is that, you know, when it, when it was framed to me that way. And then it's like, um, you know, what a lot of people say, I mean, um, I think the last book I saw it in was Marie Forleo's book. And, you know, when you're making that excuse, you're, you're saying, you know, it's not important. So you're telling yourself you're not important enough or you mm-hmm. lie to your spouse or you lie to you, or your kids or make excuses to them. Yeah. So, you know, you make excuse for why you can't go to your kids play or their soccer game or you, you know, why you can't do this for your spouse. And so you're, you're basically, you know, translation, if you have subtitles underneath, that means you're not important enough. That's right. And you're going to tell your kid that you can tell your spouse that. Fuck no. Yeah. I thought that was a really, really beautiful way of framing it. I've never heard it framed just like that, but I thought, damn, that is so good. It was just a slight change in words because we've heard some kind of analogy to that in different ways. But what happens if you don't? What happens if you give up? What kind of life are you going to have? You know, you and I both are the same age. For me, when I thought about getting married, And being with someone, what was really, really difficult for me, particularly in the beginning, was the thought of who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? You know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you don't really think about how much time do I have left because you're too busy just living your life. You don't start really thinking about the finality of it all. But for me, in my early 40s, after that breakup, When I started thinking about what I really wanted for my life, it's when everything changed. Mm -hmm. My love life obviously changed, but what I wanted from my life changed. At that time, I was in a corporate job. I had climbed the corporate ladder. I had done all of the things that I was supposed to do inside a job that I couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. After I had that experience with that coach, I thought, man, one person can change another person's life. And from there, I was so immersed in personal development and self-help mindset, spirituality, just learning every single thing I could to not only aid myself on that journey. And by the way, I was the guinea pig, no doubt, but to also help other people get better. It's been the craziest ride and all of it was born in a moment, on my floor, on my knees, crying my eyes out. When did you know that you wanted to start paying it forward and start helping other people? You know, because you went on this amazing journey. When when did you know that this was a calling for you to start helping other people do the same thing and help them get past the things that you went through? I'll tell you where it started. I went to a Toastmasters meeting, terrified, by the way because I had never spoken my entire life, went to a Toastmasters meeting. The first speech I gave, I shared that story about my mom. 
And I shared how I was able to forgive her despite all of the things that had happened between she and I when she was living. And after that speech, by the way, I got a blue ribbon. But after that speech, I had people coming up to me asking for my blog, asking for my website info, telling me that I was a natural, that I needed to be doing this more. All the while I'm thinking, what is going on here? Am I in the twilight zone? It had never occurred to me that by sharing that story, by getting better, by healing myself, that I would have the power to heal others. When I moved to Austin, I made that a priority and I started working systematically to incorporate that into my life and leave my corporate job. It was um, that moment standing in that room after that Toastmasters meeting, it was like a light from above was shining down going, this is the next stage. This is the next chapter. This is the next thing that you're going to do. And by the way, this was way before I met my husband. We had not even had our first date, but here I was going off into the world, telling everyone how I was going to meet him, that I was going to meet him, that I was going to be with him, that I was going to bring it to fruition. And I did. I am such a believer in writing your story. We don't, I'm woo woo. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm bold as fuck, but I'm also very woo woo. I really believe in the power of meditation, visualization, vision boards, all those things. Because guess what? I did it. Sure. I have a vision board way before I met my husband. I have the journal that I wrote in and read every single day of the story of my love. And guess what? I have it. It's the craziest thing. And people, they love to shit all over it because they don't understand it. But you are so much more powerful than you believe you are if you'll just stop for a second and take your ego out of it. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, no, you can't just manifest, you know. But I mean, you do have to manifest to some extent. But I think, you know, if you're doing it the right way, then you're manifesting and it's going to dictate your actions. And then your Mm -hmm. actions, your outward expression are going to be what draws and gets you what you want. It goes back to what Tony Robbins said. What you focus on expands. So if you're focused on all the things that are going wrong in your life, all the things that are going wrong in the world, if you're focused on the things that you cannot control, you are going to naturally see those things more and more. However, if you are focused on your growth, if you are focused on the things that are going to improve your life, if you are focused on the person that you want to be, you will naturally see things that are in alignment with that. Yeah. Your reticular. By the way, like Ed Milet talks about, and you know, and just Jordan Peterson too. He talks about you get what you yep, aim. Jordan at. Peterson, same thing. Love him. Love Jordan Peterson. I it's not just the woo-woo. This shit is proven. Mm-hmm. It is true. Our brains are looking for similarities all the time. So if you are always focused on negative, you are going to see negative. If you are focused on positive, you will see more positive. No doubt about it. Know thyself. It's in the Bible. It's literally there. Know thyself. I think that's pretty important. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This this has been absolute fire today. My goodness. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I knew it would be. Um, I need to be respectful of your time. Um, so talk a little bit more about the work you're doing now and how everybody can find you. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Facebook, Michelle Fuller, One Bold MF. On Instagram, it's One Bold underscore MF. I'm also on LinkedIn for any of you that play in that courtyard. It's Michelle Fuller. So let me tell you what we've got going on right now. There are a couple of exciting things. I offer one-on-one coaching. That's always a standing invitation. It is a conversation that needs to be had before we agree to do that. I believe in relationship coaching. In other words, you should choose me and I should choose you. That will be transformative. One-on-one coaching is the flex in this space. You will get VIP attention and you will be able to create goals and accomplish them in a much faster way. But I'm also working on a course. I'm happy to announce that I am launching my very own course and it is designed specifically for women that are trying to create love after divorce in their forties or beyond. That is very exciting. That is obviously based on my very, very vast experience. I mean, let's remember I was my own guinea pig and I failed my way all the way to the happy story that I have now. I also created a community with two of my girlfriends. It is called the arena. We are taking uh, women right now. Essentially, we created this community as a way to empower and elevate women in three different areas, mindset and relationships, in business and in health, because we believe that all of those are critical to the success of any person, but we wanted to create a community that served exclusively women. That's what I have going on right now. Wow. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of great nuggets today and uh, Michelle, I can't thank you enough for being here. Everybody, if you got something out of this, please go ahead and share the show. Go online, uh, Spotify and Apple. Leave us a five-star review. Everybody go make a great day. Go make someone else's day, week, month better. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.